This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. How about you? Not bad. Not bad. All right. Just a quick question about format, um, but I'm going to be the guinea pig at the beginning, and so... um, Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master, and today we are going to begin a series on the Scriptures, the Doctrine of the Scriptures, and we're doing this in conjunction with an upcoming conference that we wanted to draw listeners' attention to. It's called the Blue Ridge Bible Conference, and it's on March 31st and April 1st of 2017, and it's at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. We wanted to let you know if you're in the area or if you have the opportunity to get away for those few days about the conference, but we also thought that that topic of the scriptures was so significant that it would be worth interviewing each of the speakers who are scheduled for the conference. As it turns out, I have to be the guinea pig because I'm one of those speakers. So I'm actually going to take my life into my hands and hand over the interviewing responsibilities to my good friend and a friend of the podcast, someone who's been on here before, Dr. Jeff Stuyvesant, who is the pastor of Grace Reform Presbyterian Church. He's also the editor of Place for Truth, and we've worked together on a lot of projects. So Jeff, I'm handing it over to you, and I'm putting myself in your hands. Okay. Thanks, Jonathan. It's really good to be here with you. It's always good to talk to you. So let me start with just an introductory question. Uh, When we think about the sufficiency of Scripture, when we we talk about that, what, what do we mean, and where do we find that idea in Scripture? That's a great question, because we don't find that specific phrase put in that specific way in the Bible. What we mean, though, basically, when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, is that all the things that are necessary for us to live lives that are glorifying to the Lord, all the things that are necessary for us to understand what God has done in Jesus Christ for our salvation, all the necessary things for our faith and life as Christians are set down in the scriptures, and we don't need anything in addition to the Bible. It's sufficient for all those things. When you talk about where that's found, the clearest verse, or really verses, that outline this are in Second Timothy chapter 3. And what Paul says there is he talks to Timothy about how from childhood he has been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, And then he talks about the scriptures being breathed out by God, and he says they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And if we wanted to expand beyond that, we could also talk about passages like Ephesians 2, where Paul says that the church is founded on the prophets and the apostles, what we might think of as the Old and New Testaments. Or if we wanted to look at examples of this, we can see at the end of Moses' life, he tells the people that you need to be careful to do all the law that the Lord commanded. And Joshua says, the same thing that the psalmist talks about how the law of the Lord brings life and it is able to make us wiser than our teachers. So you take all these things, put them together, 
And then specifically, if you look at Paul's words in 2 Timothy, and that's where we come up with this idea, this understanding that the scriptures are sufficient for our faith and life. Yeah, that's a comprehensive answer. That's good, Jonathan. That prompts, though, another question. Is there anything that we don't mean when we talk about scripture sufficiency? What about that? Sure. Sometimes I'll have students and I'll ask them, what, what is, how would you define the Bible? What, what, is, it, what is it used for? You know, sort of broad questions. And, and sometimes I ask this of students who are maybe even new to their faith. And sometimes a very eager student will say something like, it has all the answers we need for everything in life. And, you know, I, I, I always am so grateful for that kind of sentiment and that kind of confidence in the Bible. But the reality is that's a little bit of an overstatement. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell you how to program your computer. It doesn't tell you how to drive a car. It doesn't tell you what to wear in the morning. It doesn't, it doesn't answer those kinds of questions for us. What we instead mean when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture is not that you only need this book – in order to do anything and everything that you're called upon to do in life, in your job, or in school. What it means, though, is that all that is necessary for your faith, for your salvation, for living life pleasing to God is contained in there. So we can sometimes overstate, I suppose, the doctrine of sufficiency in order to imply that, you know, this is all you need if you want to become a brain surgeon. And of course, the Bible never makes that claim. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. Well, and you've been answering this question really all along. You started it in the first question and you you even touched on it in the second. But I'm going to ask you something uh, that will put a point on it for the listeners. When we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, the question immediately arises, sufficient for what? And so maybe you can put a point on that, uh, even though you have been um, working us through that in the previous questions. So I would say, and and I'll lean on a formulation that was put together hundreds of years ago, that the counsel of God in the Scriptures concerns all things necessary for God's own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life. And all those things are either expressly set down in Scripture or can be inferred by good and necessary consequence from the Scriptures. And so that's how I would want to formulate it, and I think that maybe captures some of the emphases that I was getting at earlier. I would add, though, one thing. to You asked to put a very fine point on it, and, and I want to do that. I think one of the areas where we struggle with this in the contemporary evangelical church today is in the area of local church ministry. I think very often pastors and elders, those charged with leadership in the local church, have begun to think that, in fact, the Bible isn't enough to do the ministry that they're called to do. So for me, the real sharp edge of this doctrine isn't so much in the lives of everyday people, because I think people understand that, you know, it doesn't teach you how to drive a car and that kind of thing. But I think the really sharp edge in the place where this requires further thought and real confidence is in the area of ministry. When we as pastors and teachers are dealing with the spiritual needs of God's people. What is it that those people need? 
and what is it that God promises by his spirit to use to change them. I think we can oftentimes, and I've been in this situation myself, as I'm sure you have, we can oftentimes start to doubt, is God's spirit working through God's word enough? Or do I need to rely on some other mechanism, some other program, some other kind of trick in order to cause God's people to grow or in order to see people converted? And that temptation is always with us. It's perennial temptation that we face, and I think it's a temptation that we really need to resist. And so, and so that, to me, is the sharp edge of this and the place where I see it needing to be reinforced in the evangelical church today. Yeah, that's that that's a sobering that's a sobering comment, um, and and I think right on the money. I I've got an anecdote to share with you. I I happened to be with some other ministers years ago, and I was listening to one man tell another that his session had finally allowed him to cancel the evening service for good. And the other man said, "Oh, that's good. Now now maybe you can do some real ministry." Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, what what is that actually saying? Well, it's actually saying that what God's people need is not more of the Word of God. It's actually something else. And I think it's striking. You know, Peter's last recorded words that we have at the end of Second Peter are, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ by by feeding on his mm. on his word. And so, you know, James Montgomery Boyce, the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, made this point, and it really stuck with me. He was probably making it in a lot of different venues throughout the mid to late 90s. But he said, you know, there was a time early on in his ministry where he really felt like the battle was for the inerrancy of the scriptures. Is God's word reliable? Is it trustworthy? Is it truthful? But he said he had become increasingly convinced at that time in the late 90s that the battle within evangelical churches had shifted and really was now for the sufficiency of the scriptures. Because he said most of the churches that he had the opportunity to visit, most of the pastors that he engaged with, were at least tacitly committed to the idea that the Bible is inspired, the Bible is inerrant, mm-hmm. and, and, and the evangelical church largely had at least committed itself on paper to those truths. But he said, but what has happened is while they have committed them, they've sort of checked off that box, they have in other ways lost confidence in the Bible's efficacy. They've lost confidence in the fact that the Spirit of the Lord works through the Word of the Lord in order to do the work of the Lord. And at the time, that diagnosis really resonated with me, and I would say, if anything, it's probably more true today across the board even than it was then. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the next question, but that is a sobering thing that you've just uh, put in front of us. The next question, I think, touches on some of what you said, and I think it's an important question. So how does the sufficiency of Scripture interface with the debates about Scripture's inerrancy and infallibility today? Well, I think it definitely interfaces with it. To me... In one sense, it's logically connected. If the Bible is without error, and if the Bible says that it's sufficient, 
that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, then we ought to believe that. If it's without error and it says it, then then we ought to, to believe that what it says is true. So to me, they're inexorably connected with one another. But, you know, I think, too, this does get to the issue of what our perspective is on the work of the Holy Spirit, because the doctrine of scriptural inspiration and scriptural inerrancy is very closely tied with the fact that we know that the scriptures were inspired as as the Holy Spirit moved these men to write the things they wrote. So Peter talks about this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, but that these men were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so and so to me, there's something similar going on when you talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, because really what we mean, in addition to everything I've said about it being sufficient for, for our faith and life, is that the Spirit of God works through the Word of God, and that Word and Spirit from the very beginning of Scripture are inseparably bound together. Mm. If you think about even even the creation account in Genesis 1, there's lots of debate about the creation account and how that actually worked itself out in history. But, but you know, one thing that's very clear in Genesis 1 is that God's Word and God's Spirit are working together. In fact, the Spirit of God is mentioned, and then the Word of God is mentioned. And and this is what we see again and again, that Word and Spirit are bound together. And so what we're saying when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture is really wrapped up in our confidence in the work of the Spirit of God. So that might be a little bit far afield. I think the logical connection is the easier one to see, but there, this is bound up in questions about the work of the Holy Spirit and our confidence in the work of the Holy Spirit. No, that's that's helpful. Uh, well, you mentioned something earlier about putting a point on it for pastors, and and that was very challenging and helpful. What about the the day to day believer in Christ? Why is the sufficiency of Scripture in, important for the Christian from day to day? I talked to so many Christians who often reach a point similar to what I described with pastors where for whatever reason they're frustrated, they're troubled by their own ongoing sin, they're frustrated at the fact that they don't respond instinctively to situations in the way that they should. They perhaps aren't praying as they know they ought to. And and so a dis- kind of discouragement can set in. And I've met many Christians who want to know, you know, is this is this it? Is there some some book I need to read, some prayer I need to pray, some place I need to visit, some some speaker I need to hear who's going to flip the switch mm. and really change me in mm. a radical way. That's something that I think real Christians experience, and there's a sense in which that's a that's an encouraging thing to hear, because what it means is there's a discontentment. There's the kind of thing that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7 this conflict that happens within us as believers i could identify that with that and and i think and i think all christians can but you know what christians need to be reminded of is that god has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of his son and god has given us what we need in and through his word and so we need to keep 
coming back to that. Keep drilling down into that. Not to look for something else, not to look for some other gimmick or guru, but to continue to ground ourselves in the ordinary means of grace and in the study of God's Word. And, and then I think, too, there's another way in which Christians can veer off course in this, and that's that they often are demanding answers from God that he has not given in his word. Mm. So it's not maybe that they lack confidence in the power of the word of God, but there are things that they want to know that God's word doesn't tell them. And a lot of times those are very personal things. Why did this happen to Mm. me? Mm. And I think Christians in that situation, and again, that's a situation we're all familiar with. Christians in that situation need to be reminded of what we read in Deuteronomy 29.29, which John Calvin comes back to again and again. The hidden things are of the Lord, but the things revealed are for us and for our children forever that we may observe the words of this law. So God has revealed in his law, in his word, the things that we need, and yet there are hidden things that he has not revealed, and that's ultimately good. That's ultimately okay. Think about Job at the end of the book. He sort of demanded his day in court with God. And then God basically levels Job and says, you're not even remotely prepared to enter into this discussion. So I think Christians can both doubt the efficacy of God's word. They think they need something else because they're frustrated. Or they can want something additional because they can want and demand answers. And to that we have to say, God has given us what we need, and the hidden things are of the Lord. That's well said. Now, Jonathan, one more question for you, and that is the person listening today may want to explore this topic a little further. What what books would you recommend? What resources? There are lots of books written about the Word of God. Most of them most of the really good ones that, that I would want to recommend right off the bat are really dealing with the question of inerrancy and the authority of God's Word. I really think the best book, the one that's been most helpful to me on this question of the sufficiency of the Word of God and the question of the Spirit's work through the Word of God is Calvin's Institutes. And I know that sounds daunting, but I will tell you that And I would tell all of our listeners that the Institutes are not as difficult to read as you might believe they will be. And I would really commend the study of them to all of our listeners. Calvin, near the beginning of the Institutes, talks about the sources of our knowledge of God. He talks about how important a knowledge of God is. And then he talks about how the Word of God gives us this knowledge of God. And he talks as well about all kinds of people who seek to add to the scriptures. He calls them fanatics and who seek to add to the scriptures and how that really undermines God's word. So that's where I would point people. There are other books, and you know, I always think of them after we turn off the recording devices, but Calvin's Institutes is the first place I would go to. That's great. Well, Jonathan, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I think this has been a a wonderful interview. I'm sure it'll serve the church and the people of God, and so thanks for doing it. Well, thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is supported by donors like you. 
you can contribute on placefortruth.org or via alliancenet.org. And I want to say thanks again for tuning into Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. <laughs>